you uh, you mentioned lineage. Lineage is actually an um, uh, let us say a a deep issue. So let's not discuss um, the uh, the depth of um, lineage and what that means, and and start with a lightweight word. And and the, and the lightweight word that uh, uh, Dan was considering was the word angle. Oh, joining joining the. Um, um, the organization of Western Dhamma teachers then will give um, the individual teachers an angle or um, let us say a method of verification. And so that's that's the whole start of what we're looking at. Now, there's another word that we can use, and that uh, the next word is the one that is already in service, and that is certification. Mm-hmm. But certification has a certain kind of um, uh, monetary quality to it. Yeah. And so I would rather avoid that particular word, but it will do... Um, if nothing else uh, can come up with. Um, now, this issue or the, the idea of certification is um, the angle that we would find um, with some people that I have seen on the Internet use that, oh, I've got a Ph.D. in Buddhist studies from Harvard. If that's this guy's angle. Yeah. Right? Kind of certified, and yet um, I can understand that. In fact, he has, even though he's got, in Western terminology, very high class certification. He's actually got no lineage at all. Yeah. And here's the reason why: is because he he might have been under the tutelage of one or two or even a committee of professors. at Harvard, but none of them had any real Buddhist lineage. They all were doing it by reading books. Yeah. And so uh, it's possible for a student of the Dhamma to not really ever be around real teachers. Uh, uh, Or maybe not use the word real, but use the word teacher who has been in a lineage and understands a few things. There's just so much that you cannot learn from a book. Yeah. Uh, Universities have known that all along um, in the sense of they have what's called didactic and experiential in psychotherapy systems. Or in universities, they call it uh, class and lab. If you take a class in chemistry, it's normally going to be, or in the old days, it was a four-hour class. Why? Because you had three hours of um, classroom, but then you had an hour or two hours a week where you were in the lab doing your best to blow the world up. (laughs) Or at least doing the experiments that the teachers expected you to do so that you actually got some hands-on. 
So uh, the problem with the guy who's got a PhD in Buddhism is he's had no hands on, no feet on, no robe on, nothing. Yeah. Except reading a lot of books. Um, I imagine that what uh, um, is part of the teacher training program to train teachers in meditation would be a combination of um, some meditation techniques and also some psychology. But the problem is, is that if the, if the, uh, the students who are in the meditation uh, training certification program have to pay money for that, then they're automatically now in the mindset that it's okay for me now to go out and teach meditation for profit. And so uh, finding a way of interrupting that mentality would be a good thing so that the entire student body uh, and alumni of uh, every meditation teacher's training certification program uh, that's done in English language, all of these students would be invited and alumni invited to join this organization that we're talking about. Why? Because if they're in the organization, then they're leaning towards um, uh, the original intention of the Sangha, that this is is to promote uh, the teachings of the Buddha the way that the Buddha would approve of, and the Buddha would not approve of charging money for it, even though there's a lot of people who will say, well, meditation teachers have got to eat. Yeah. Well, that's what we're trying to get together, is to get the teachers to a point where they can cooperate, communicate, (coughs) have a donor base, Mm -hmm. so that we can kind of split the model between the Asian model and the Western model. Because the Asian model that actually does have lineage requires that not only do you go and study with a teacher, you live with him. Right. Which is maybe not in the same building, but certainly on the premises on the ground, so that he's you you're around, and um, and and not only is the teacher visible to the students, but everyone at the Watt is basically visible to everybody else at the Watt. Yeah. Okay. So, um, I think that the altruistic. Um, uh, side of this is 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 really uh, really important because this this project for me has has uh, like civilization wide import like so when I when I started my recovery this time what I noticed is that as I did my emotional work um, for the first time I could eat. A reasonable meal um, uh, because I was dealing with my emotions and I didn't need to overeat and I uh, um, yada yada um, and I immediately thought oh if I can consume less from doing emotional work that seems to be something that's relevant to society um, and to get to get people out of seeking the wrong Love in all the wrong places, like you say, like the wrong kind of satisfaction and get the right idea of satisfaction um, 
is uh, paramount right now. Um, and uh, to, get out of to get out of a culture of every person for themselves and into a culture of cooperation and altruism and build that sense of common endeavor. Um, and the beautiful thing is that the moment is ripe beyond ripe right now. Meditation is so popular, um, but it's being used to numb instead of get insight. Um, and there's this great interest, this great thirst for spiritual meaning uh, that there was a kind of a reaction to against the uh, sentimental stuff of the 60s and 70s. We kind of lost that for a bit, but it's come back. There's this, this great thirst for it. You ain't seen nothing yet. Okay. It's it, the feeling that I have deep inside is that we're all sitting on the side of a mountain that's rumbling. Yeah, me too. Yeah, there's I a, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's about something's about to blow. Literally. I, I feel almost faint. Give me a second. <clears throat> yes. No, this is this is the moment. Corona, everybody realizing that we're in this thing together, everybody realizing that big changes are possible if there's the will. Um, all this talk about what can change, you know, now that we realize that um, um, this is uh, the iron is hot. Um, the mm -hmm. iron is hot. I know I can feel. And not only that, but I see I've been here not from the very beginning. But for many, many years of seeing things, and right now it feels like that something new is, is brewing. Yes. Um, also, what I have seen is many of the things that I saw um, wrong-headed uh, in, in Reddit, that people yeah. were making a lot of mistakes. Yeah. Uh, and now what I uh, have uh, not not very recently, but several times I have seen um, that those mistakes have been corrected and that is almost done in the language of the way that I speak. So I know that my students have beginning to um, <laughs> modify or change um, the, the whole way of looking at the Dhamma. Uh, because uh, Achan Po, as you know, has sent me to do this stuff on Skype uh, to do the super mundane Dhamma, to do just the really good stuff and to not bring in all of, all of Buddhism. So that's why uh, this organization, you see, um, it, it had been percolating in the background sort of in the sense of um, the original idea was outreach. Yeah. But then I recognized, wait a minute, the outreach that needs to be done is much bigger than I am. Yeah. It is much, much bigger than, than I am. That, uh, uh, that I can only handle just so many students. Yeah. Uh, but that I can give, uh, I've got a lot of stuff that's just come by, by natural. Uh, the point would be that most Westerners do not understand uh, the value 
of the various Asian watts yeah. that are throughout the West. No, they, they feel uh, like something that, that we're not welcome in. Well, that's a language barrier, basically, because um, the two main things that I would say about the Asian watts in the West is the Asians who build these watts and populate them with the monks know what they're looking for in a monk. So we're going to, there's already a number of high quality monks from Laos, Thailand, Vietnam, Cambodia, and also to a degree, um, Sri Lanka and um, uh, um, Burma. So Gunaratana is actually a very, very good um, example of that. He got started in the uh, Sri Lankan Bahara uh, in Washington, D.C. But he eventually, uh, because he knew English, he put in an output or an outreach in English, or they were welcoming there of English language speaking people in Washington. That was where I got to know him long before. Uh, the Bobanov Society was started in the uh, late 80s. That's when I, uh, I had known him. It was because of his language. He spoke English. And that was all that was necessary, the extra spark that it took to get a situation like Bobanov Society going. We can do that times 50. If we can make a connection with the uh, the various monks yeah. who can speak some some English, and in fact, if more Westerners would go to the watts and the temples from Asia, yeah. uh, that would help foster the uh, the monks there learning to speak English. I'd love that. That would that would. I before my addiction, I wanted to travel the world teaching English. I can't think of anything more uh fitting how far how close to you are C are you to seattle um it's something like a five-hour drive um yeah into crazy that's, land <laughs> that that's quite a lot i didn't recognize it as so far i mean you look on a map and it's only an inch away <laughs> yeah five 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 hours. I spend five hours uh, uh, picking my nose sometimes. Five hours, nothing. There is a um, what in Seattle that is um, dedicated, or let us say, um, part of their <laughs> uh, lineage. Their lineage is with Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa. Okay. Now, when I was in Chicago in two thousand and two. I, I knew then uh, through the Chicago Watt that the Chicago Watt was helping to get a Watt in Seattle started. Mm -hmm. But then out of sight, out of mind, it dropped right out of my mind until just recently when Robert pointed out to me, no, there's a huge Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa Watt in Seattle. There may back now be other uh, Watts uh, for Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa in the United States. Yeah. Um, but this one's well, well established in 
uh, one of the photos on the web uh, is a photo of their uh, library. And, and it shows that their library is well, well stocked yeah. to give books out for free. English books, lots of uh, Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa books. And yet the people of Seattle haven't caught on to this want yet. Yeah. And, and so uh, I'm wanting to uh, get the guys that I know in Seattle to start attending, paying attention, et cetera, like that. But right now, because of coronavirus, they're closed. Naturally, this is not the right moment. But okay. in a few months, yeah. that would be the right thing uh, for us to do. Um, I do have one student in Chicago. I should point him towards the Watt uh, that's in Chicago that's uh, associated with Bikku Buddha Dhamma. So, um, it's okay they're making all that noise. Don't worry about it. <laughs> um, so, um, I, um, my, My brain's going pew, pew, pew. Um, uh, I think that this is part, or rather, my thinking on this issue is along the same lines, but big, because um, I think a lot about this stuff. Um, I, um, I've come to realize that uh, uh, although I'm committed to um, I'm committed to this path of awakening that uh, um, I'm not a Buddhist you know I Buddhism is something I do so far it's ringing true um, uh, I'm not a Buddhist not... either good uh, in, many ways, in, talk... in many technical ways I am but in the way the words used I'm not <laughs> Yeah, like it's 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 a big part of my life, but at the same time, it's not uh, uh, it's not the flag I'm going charging into the future with. Um, and uh, well, that's am, the whole point of it is to drop all flags. I really do not carry it, a banner. <laughs> it it uh, it changed uh, it changed my life with that, and you continue to change my life, and I'm so grateful for it. Truly, um, truly, man. Um, so deeply. Um, uh, hold on, I'm going to explode. Um, <laughs> um, uh, yeah, what you what you said about that was got me to the point of like, I'm not. You're not on a different side. I'm not on any side. I'm not even on my side. I'm on everybody's side. Um, mm -hmm. I'm on, you know, the interbeing side, um, and. Um, I think with this with this moment in that we find ourselves of existential threat, I know you have a different feeling than I do on it, but um, not only every every <laughs> spiritual um, uh, school of thinking that's worth its salt has things about. Um, dropping materialism about what's really satisfactory um, and they're all out there and they're all big parts of the world 
what I envision is um, this kind of thing. You know, this is a moment we need to come together. We need to start teaching for free. Um, you know, not keep it esoteric. Um, and uh, um, I envision um, a cooperation across religions saying we have a common endeavor right now um, to change the culture. We're going to work together, um, you know, put down our differences and realize, you know, our, our, our common goals. Um, and I actually, my thinking is entirely on. So um, I realized, I realized that, you know, my personal work on my emotions and, and my worldview is helping me care less about consumerism and be able to interact better. Um, and uh, I've also realized, which is a pr pretty, you know, facile thing, but just that, you know, like I'm part of the system. I, I contribute to all the stuff that I say that I'm against. Um, and, uh, uh, and then I thought uh, for the big changes that we need to make, we need more social solidarity. Right now we're so divided and there's the forces that want to control us are trying to divide us. Um, and uh, uh, so I want to um, bring people together, stop seeing each other as, as others, um, get, get into the one tribe mindset. And I've been actually, I have notebooks filled. I want to do a social network. The, the uh, tentative name for it is um, enough, um, enough of the old way we've been doing things and enough for yourself. The world is enough. Um, you know, you're enough. Um, where it's, it's all about getting people to see people as they really are and, and fostering altruism, fostering compassion. Um, I, um, um, this, this, this kind of thing that you're talking about with the, the Western Buddhist Sangha is something that I want to do with as many people as possible in as many different ways as possible. Okay, I um, I agree with that sentiment. Um, the example that I used um, about the American Medical Association, it has some value and also some uh, places where the analogy breaks down. But um, at the last turn of the century, there, uh, oh, you could even go so far to call it the 1890s. It, there was kind of a mini revolution that was going on scientifically uh, to where in the United States at that time, the medical profession was full of charlatans and snake oil salesmen, uh, quackery, anything. I mean, anybody could, could hang out a shingle that says that they were a doctor. And then they would go into business. Um, some would go to medical school, but it's easier to get a printer to print a diploma from a medical school than it is to actually go to medical school. <laughs> and in the old West and whatnot, that was a, a big issue. So this was why the American Medical Association was formed. Now, less than half the doctors in the United States are uh, part of the American Medical Association. It's gotten very political in many ways that were, um, let us say, detrimental. 
But the point that I'm making was is that the AMA, community of doctors who knew each other at their level of qualifications, et cetera, could, could kind of route out or root out those who were either charlatans or uh, quacks. Now, uh, we probably don't have quite that much of an issue in um, Western Buddhism now, except that there is a huge number of people who are getting really deep into Buddhism, and yet they don't have much of a background mm-hmm. other than reading books and doing their own practice. Uh, and yet many of them uh, maybe done one, two, four, five retreats. We're talking about just your average Joe who's maybe done some retreats, maybe read some books, and, and is getting gung-ho into the Dhamma and wants to teach. Yeah. They go out and teach. Who's to stop them? Every single thing that you teach me, I pass on immediately. That's just the kind of person that I am. Okay. All right. Well, um, the, the problem is, is that if, if the guy begins to sell what he is learning, yeah. then it belongs to him. I'm selling you this. I'm getting the reward and whatnot back from it. So that's the danger that these guys have. Yeah. The next point, which actually the one that you're, you started to make, was is that the more someone tells the Dhamma, the better at telling the Dhamma they become. Uh, there is more than one sutta. Uh, one of the ones in the Majjhima Nikaya just kind of mentioned it in practice, but it, uh, in passing. But in the Angatara, there is actually a sutta about the five ways to learn the Dharma. Okay. And um, uh, listening, uh, uh, communicating with friends, uh, personal practice. Uh, that kind of stuff, but the crown jewel is teaching the Dhamma. That the very best way to learn the Dhamma is to teach it. That's a human universal, actually. That's universal humanly, okay? If you really want to uh, learn some algebra, at least do one semester of teaching algebra to a bunch of ninth graders. So that'll help uh, that kind of foundation. So this is exactly what's what's happened. And part of it has to do with the sincerity that it starts off with Harry and Opata in the sense that uh, the teachers would normally and naturally feel embarrassed if they told something that they knew in advance was false. Later, that goes to the point that they were embarrassed to tell someone something if it might be false. Or, which in another way of saying it, that the teacher will tell something and he knows that he does not know where that came from. Mm. No reference. Yeah. All right. So as we begin to teach, we begin to get more, a bit more scholarly. We begin to figure out, well, where did I hear that? Or how do I know that? 
And that one of the ways that I that I continue to do that uh, is because I'm on a kind of a regular basis still looking at Bhikkhu Buddhadasa stuff. And from time to time, I'll say, aha, I see. That's where I got that. Uh-huh. And then there um, on some occasions, uh, one example would be uh, Bhikkhu Buddhadasa's uh, point about um, wisdom at the point of contact so that we know our feelings. And I wonder where Bhikkhu Buddhadasa got that. And finally, I found it in the Danganakaya on the, uh, um, I forget the name of the sutra, I think it's number 15. Oh, yes, sutra number okay. 15 of the Danganakaya. <laughs> All right, so uh, this is the kind of thing that I'm getting at, that when people begin to teach the Dhamma, they want to teach it correctly because they don't want to be embarrassed that their students may know more than they do or other people are out there saying, aha, that's wrong. You know what I love about passing this stuff on is when people surpass me and start teaching me. That's that's the beautiful thing. Um, and, uh, um, you know, like I I know that like because um, I'm big on interbeing. I'm, I'm, I, as this is going, it's like, oh yeah, we're all one person. You're like, yeah, I can't control where you go, but you're me and I'm you. Not like, you know, literally, but like we're a unit. Anyway. Um, <laughs> I like interconnected. Interbeing, I got a bit of a uh, definitional problem of what is a being. It's evocative. <laughs> Let's roll with it. Um, um, that's that. That's yeah. a rabbit hole. But uh, um, I guess, I, like I know, like when when I'm supporting the people that I'm living with, it comes back to me. And sometimes I've I've even heard things that I've I've said come back to me when I've needed it. And then people put it through their different lenses. And uh, you know, like one of one of my hobbies, because I, I'm in a 12-step fellowship, um, which, while it uh, is apparently a different paradigm, I just feel like it's the same paradigm, but I, of course I would. Um, and so I translate a lot. Um, and, uh, oh my gosh, go away. I'm sorry, pop up. Um, <laughs> and uh, so I love, I love talking about the Dhamma um, without any of, you know, the... Um, the, the fancy hat and anything on any of the clothes of just the religious mystique, just like this is a salt of the earth truth that helps me in my day. Um, and that's, that's something that I, I kind of see with um, this whole issue with, with lineage, you know, one, one angle uh, they could come from is, is like taking it out of the social construct of authority and stuff and being like, I have respect for this person, you know, I, um, I know this person, you know, I think, um, I think in this way of them, I trust them. Um, and also being transparent, you know, this is, this is, um, this is where I got this from. And, you know, one thing that makes me very appealing to you, you, you very appealing to me, um, is, uh, is that um, you're you're really down to earth, and that that really works for me because I was going into it from this ego point of like, aha, I have this secret knowledge, and you know, look at me with all these great things about reality when I know when it's literally you know just like that uh, 
you know, that anyway, my, I guess, I guess my point is, is that, uh, um, uh, the whole, that whole thing of like, ah, it's Buddhism. We have these, these great secrets and, and all that. Uh, and, and they are great secrets. They're just, um, you know, like, it's like, oh, this is something that's really helpful. Um, and I, you know, um, and it really doesn't have anything to do with uh, any, you know, special knowledge. It's just, you know, somebody sat around for a really long time and got a really good idea of how their mind worked, um, you know? Okay. Well, let's talk about lineage for just a moment. Okay. Um, there, there is a... Um, let us say a point in time, not a, sorry to start over that. There becomes an evolutionary process where one goes through. And that evolutionary process has a major component to it. And that is enthusiasm and joy for the Dhamma. Mm -hmm. This enthusiasm and this joy for the Dhamma is actually um, a kind of a shorthand way of talking about the one who is, if you're in, enthusiastic for the Dhamma, that means that you're willing to jump into the Dhamma at any particular point you recognize that you're not in it. Yes, yeah, yeah. Right? This is what we mean then by <clears throat> the stream entry. Yeah. Okay, to enter into the flow of the Dhamma, except that it's not a stream or a trickle, it's much more like a <laughs> tsunami. <Yeah. laughs> uh, it feels so, that way. And so um, the, the quality of the lineage is to uh, bring about uh, through contact with a teacher or someone who has this joy of the Dhamma, this yeah. enthusiasm for the Dhamma, yeah. And that it kind of rubs off. Yeah. That, that's the one thing that we give back to the Buddha as the only distinction. The only distinction that is there. In fact, there is a sutta about it. It's number, I think it's 112. Uh, where Ananda is, uh, this, this occurs right after the time of the Buddha's death. And that Ananda is out on alms round, and he stops and has a conversation with a Brahmin. While he's having this conversation with the Brahmin, someone comes in and asks another question. They get sidetracked and then gets back eventually to the answer to this question yeah. that this Brahmin asked. And, and Ananda's point was is that there is no distinction between those who are left and the Buddha. There is no distinction that the only distinction that could be there was is that he figured it out for himself. But once he figured it out, he is now transmitting it. And that that transmission is a complete transmission of, of, of knowledge, habits, um, understanding and uh, way of life. It's a lifestyle change yeah. that we go through. So. Uh, that's really almost impossible to get out of a book. Mm -hmm. 
you can get a lot of Dhamma knowledge. You can also sit and do a lot of meditation. But yeah. that fire, that spark that brings about nobility in a person yeah. is normally transmitted, but it's not transmitted like Shaktipat or some ceremony or whatever like that. It, it, it builds up over time, just like putting a, um, a pot under a, a fire or on a fire. And uh, Murado, I, I had I had that moment with uh, with my friend. I I, I wrote you about um, um, like it was it was so beautiful. Just um, um, you know, like we have to have a higher power in in Buddhism, and he chose um, cause and effect, um, and uh, that just really led into a natural discussion of oh, the whole deal. And he was like, holy how did I not see this before? And he's been happy all week after um, a down period. Uh, and now I get to share in that happiness. Um, and I have my friend back. Um, and uh, it's, that, it's like that. I, I just heard an old song from the 50s that I, I, I just I want to get a tattooed. You know, I, I don't want to set uh, the world on fire. I just want to light a flame or start a flame in your heart. Mm -hmm. Okay. I like, there's a lot of songs from the 50s that are um, uh, inspirational. Yeah. Hard rock and uh, um, acid rock and punk rock and that kind of thing that's gotten quite common and popular actually has some anger built into it. Some, some rage singing, uh, um, raging do not go into that good night, fight, fight, fight kind of mentality um, uh, to where, uh, as you said, we're looking for more of cooperation. Yeah. And while I'm thinking about it, uh, religions teach cooperation, but that the people themselves are not skilled enough to follow the actual teachings of, for instance, Jesus. Yeah. They don't follow the teachings of Jesus and they wind up following the teachings of Christianity because they can do that. Yeah. They, in fact, one of the reasons why they like Donald Trump so much is because he's like them. Okay, full stop. Full stop. I have an important point here. Um, <laughs> we... <laughs> We, when we talk down about the other side and say they're dumb, which you're not saying, but people do, um, and uh, oh, say, <laughs> oh, you, you need to act this certain way and it's not okay, you know, to have the views that you have about race or about gender or whatever. We create a dr Donald Trump. Donald Trump is a reaction to our side being judgmental and oppressive? Um, that may be wearing too much guilt. That in fact, uh, we cannot assume the responsibility for their division. Our division. Not separate the from it. Well, when they're making the division, they make it a them and an us. We 
we contribute every time that we make somebody the other and we talk down um, and we don't act with understanding for where they come from, we create the division. All right. But every time we, let us say, ignore the reality of the situation, then we are operating out of instincts also. And that that prevents us then from seeing an alternate way. Which reality in particular? Well, if we're going to talk about the reality of generosity, then we have to see all the various kinds of generosity and how some of them work better than others. Okay so that we can see the truth of the, of the situation. This, this is part of, the, the, uh, part of wisdom, is to accept that there is division in the world, that we're not going to have unity simply because we want to have unity. We have to recognize the division when there is division. Yep, I agree. Okay, we have to be able to see it. And so when I when I'm talking about it like this, I'm not putting down uh, Christianity. Um, in fact, I would like to see it if they would, in fact, start uh, paying very close attention to what Jesus actually said and start doing the things that Jesus actually said. But I don't find them doing that. And because they're not doing that, they now are wanting to have a savior that's more like them. Yeah. Almost to the point that modern day, well, it happened in the time of Jesus too. I was about to say that they would reject Jesus, but in fact, Jesus was rejected in his own time anyway. Um, I One thing that I'm really um, uh, lucky uh, about is that um, in 12-step programs, they talk a lot about God and higher power. Um, and um, I find myself sitting in this, uh, um, this really comfortable middle ground between uh, many different things um, uh, where I can see what people are talking about when they talk about the will of God and the hand of providence um, and uh, the beauty of prayer. Um, and uh, the need for outside help um, and relying on grace. Um, and uh, um, at the same time, uh, you know, the Dharma is, uh, is kicking my ass in the best possible way. Uh, and, um, and I come from an extremely atheist family, um, and, and I find that um, all that anybody is talking about is the way that the world, natural world actually works. Um, it all fits together for me. Point being that um, um, I have some Christian relatives. All my relatives are American. And uh, um, this gives me the ability to talk to them. Um, you know, they've noticed I've been writing poems and some of them talk about God. And so my, my Christian relatives have noticed. And now, now I'm able to talk to them on their level as an exploration of different viewpoints. And, uh, um, and I think that that's, you know, 
I have would it a, be talking on their level or would it be merely being able to speak in their language? Well, because you're able to use their language, but you're actually talking to them at a kind of a higher level. It's the point that I'm making. I, well, I guess the, let's talk about levels. Um, that's, uh, that, that's, that, that, that strikes me as an important point. Like, um, I, I've really appreciated how, even though you in a very objective sense are, are on a higher level than me, um, you treat me with, you know, respect and ease. Um, and that's, um, <laughs> one could read so much into those eyebrows. Um, <laughs> um, um, and, uh, you know, again, like the, the reality, the reality of our, our different experience and competence and, and different things is, is there, but I don't feel made less than you. Um, and that really makes me want to talk to you. Um, oh. and well, well, you're just as human as I am. Yeah. And in fact, uh, two of my best friends are dogs. <laughs> Word. I love it. <laughs> yeah. And but I, I don't, I don't hold being a dog against them, <laughs> but it helps me to understand them a whole lot better. I guess, I guess, I mean, the, it, um, that's exactly all, all that I wanted to, all that I wanted to say, um, you know, like I, um, you heard the whole thing about me getting called out in group for being people's savior, trying to be people's savior. And that's really got, gotten me to look at, um, my need to be above, um, and my need for approval for being above. Uh, and, and I've, I've gotten cut down to size and it's been really, really, really nice. Cause now I've started to look at my insecurities. Um, I've started to see the whole trap that nobody can give me approval. It's all my approval. Um, anything else has to come through the filter of like my approval for myself. Um, and uh, suddenly I'm in a room of equals that have so much to teach me. Um, and that's, um, uh, you know, that are better at things that, that I'm bad at. Um, and I can learn from, I, I don't know. Anyway. Um, and so, you know, when I am wanting to connect with, with my relatives, they're my relatives. You know, I'm sad that my parents are a bit estranged, estranged from them on account of religion. I'm interested in what I can gain from their religion because, you know, I have another monk in my life. I have a Catholic monk. He's no longer a monk, but uh, um, I, I gain a lot from, from him, even though it's, they like suffering and, and Buddhists aren't, aren't just keen on it. Um, and... Uh, um, um, but it all, it all fits together for me, you know, um, you know, it all seems to be talking about the same damn thing when you take out the claims about, you know, uh, of our, our actual reality. Um, and, you know, when I read the say 12 steps, it seems to be about the same thing. And, um, when I don't know. 
I'm smoking a cigarette or when I'm looking at trees, it all seems to be about the same damn thing. It's the same damn thing. Of course, it's the same damn thing. It's the world. Just it's about, well, it's your experience through your senses. Yeah. When, when, it, when it's no longer the same thing is when we're thinking about our experience as opposed to actually doing the experience. So the quality is being in the here now. When we are in the here now, then we're in the experience. Yeah. And we also have the idea or they, they use the concept of being in our head, which yeah. is what the Buddha would refer to as being in hindrance yeah. or being in the mind. So coming out to the outside world is basically then joining with the world being at union with the world through our senses. The only way that we can sense the world is through our senses. And when our senses are really working very, very well, we almost begin to let a flood of data come in. Back to the Dhamma being a flood. The, the reality of the situation is magnificent. There's so much happening. We're talking yeah. about cause and effect. There are tens of billions of causes and effects happening every ten trillionth of a second. Yeah. 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 It's magnificent would be and the that, way. And yeah. that's within the that's within the three or to five feet around. <laughs> yeah. Within the immediate six feet. If you take it all into consideration, it gets much, much bigger, much more profound. So this sense of being at one with one's universe or one's environment is another way of talking about being in union with God or being in the lap of God. Yeah. That it's a really, really big thing. One of the ways, in, and I know that you'll think of this as kind of a put down, but the, uh, in many people's mentality, God is only as big as the God in the Bible. It's every, every damn thing. Every damn thing. Yeah. Every damn nothing. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, I don't know if I've told you this before, but there's the example of gravity. All ears. You know, they say that God is omnipresent, omnipotent, uh, and omniscient knows everything yeah. all right well that holds true for gravity whether this the gravity of the sun uh holding the earth in orbit or whether it's the earth holding all of its uh atmosphere and humans and everything on on the earth they say that um uh that if a sparrow falls from the sky god knows it but in a way, God grabbed that bird and threw it to the ground yeah. through the force of gravity. Yeah. Now, uh, the point about gravity is, is that it is everywhere. It is omniscient. It is truly powerful. Look at the kind of rockets that we have to put up, SpaceX, yeah. Jupiter, class rockets, to get away from the Earth. Why? Because gravity is that powerful. Mm -hmm. It's also all-knowing. Every time you step, uh, you uh, trip and stumble, you will fall. Why? Because gravity will get you. 
Yeah. It's almost like not only is gravity always there and always watching, but it's intentionally trying to trip you up. It will get you. You do the slightest wrong thing. I mean, just like that book there, that book is just completely capable of falling all the way to the ground. 12 feet below is sitting yeah. here on the, uh, the banister. All yeah. right. So if we think about it from that perspective, Everything that the Christians think of and operate with their idea of God actually does exist. Yeah. They, just, they just have a very, very small view of it in the sense that it's like a guy with a long beard holding a, uh, a lightning bolt or whatever. Yeah. And there's a very close relationship to the concept of Zeus. Mm-hmm to uh, the, the Christian God, but that's a very childlike viewpoint of it. Yeah. But recognizing that God itself is extraordinarily vast and extraordinarily fast. <laughs> well, here's, here's, here's the thing, though. Like, it's, it's, it's actually um, extremely encouraging that you and I have the same concept of God. Um, so... We... No, I just no. I'm. I don't have a concept of God. I'm trying to find a placeholder for the word God, right. and we have this Dhammakai. <laughs> the body of the Dhamma is yeah. the Buddhist word for it. Okay. In other words, everything is, or to put it this way, the Dhamma is just a way of talking about all the stuff that's embodied around us. And that we can only be in touch with that, literally, by touching it. <laughs> so, like, we're, we're supposed to look for God's will and, you know, the, the idea that it's greater than us and that it cares for I'm us. I'm not sure any place in the Bible that says look for God's will. But what we do look for in Buddhism is in the sense of cooperation. Yes. Okay. That it's not necessarily God's will, but in fact, uh, what we would, what many Christians would think of it as, as providence yeah. or uh, destiny. Yeah. I would see nothing more as uh, the habit patterns of the instinctual mind. So that we are instinctually, uh, without making the proper changes, we're destined to live in a certain way, which is dissatisfied. Mm-hmm. Now, there's a lot of expressions that we can see how that fit. He who lives by the sword dies by the sword. That can be taken to he who was hit when he was a child will hit children. Yeah. Okay, he who drank when he was a child because his daddy gave him beer will drink when he's an adult. There are others that are even more sophisticated, and that is the story of the woman who had a father who was a drunk. And so the first man she married was a drunk. The second man she married was a drunk. They both died from their alcoholism. She married the third man who was sober, and then he became a drunk. Mm. All right. This is her comma. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So 
this idea of karma in Buddhism is actually living out the past or living out our habit systems or living through our instinctual ways yeah. rather than waking up and doing it wisely. But by waking up and doing it wisely now is actually that part of becoming noble. We change our lineage. Jesus says you must be born again, but he's not talking about going through the mom's womb again or, or uh, rebirth, reincarnation or anything. He's talking about being reborn of the spirit. Yeah. But the spirit he's talking about is actually your higher mind, the ability to think, the ability to uh, practice the skills uh, of remembrance and, and right effort so that we can change our destiny literally. Yeah. Why? Because we're no longer operating through our instinctual way. You see, the problem with operating instinctually is, is that it's pretty dumb. The program is already set. Yeah. You operate if, if uh, in fact, uh, the primary instinct is the self-preservation instinct and its, proper, and its uh, primary mode of thinking is fear. Yeah. To keep people alive. It's survival oriented. And this is why so many people who, whether they're in a religion or not, will go for a particular politician or political party because that political party's business is to make people afraid. Yeah. Okay. The other way of doing it to get people to vote is to promise them something that they want. Yeah. So it's either greed or ill will. Those are the two primary motivators, which are also the two primary forms of suffering. So we, if we can come out through our own efforts, through our own right effort, that means then that we can now have some freedom of choice about our actions and our behaviors. We can begin to feel the way that we want to feel, mm -hmm. right? In other words, finally, we have what would be called will. I will do this. I will be happy, and I will not be miserable. Before, we had no will about it. We had no choice about it. Choice and will are basically the same thing. So I'm, I'm leading up to the punchline of a joke now. <laughs> All right. What I'm getting at is will is never free. No. It's, it's, uh, the best we can have is a free will that is expensive. It's expensive before because we don't have it. It's expensive during because we have to make the training. And then it's expensive after because now our will is to choose the truth. When we find so many other people not choosing truth, they're choosing instinct instead. That mm -hmm. in fact, only a noble can have free will and it's not actually free. So I, I have, a. If this is, this is something that I find myself thinking about a lot. Um, when I think about instinct and spirituality um you know you, you you talked about gravity um and tie that into god's will and stuff um um 
the fact about gravity is that I am a creature that gravity and the other forces in the uh, in the cosmos, matter and energy made. I spring from these laws. I have bones, you know, and joints that are are suited towards gravity. I have a sense of uh, equi equilibrium, um, uh, and uh, um, I have a fear of heights that's quite instinctual. Um, and uh, uh, excuse me, just a second. Um, I'm I'm having an excited a, a discussion. I'm pretty excited about. If I get too loud, just yell at me. I do not use the TV. You'll have to ask someone else. Um, and uh, so, you know, when when people talk about um, you know God being, when people talk about God being love, you know that sounded really cheesy. But then I just looked around and like, wow, like actually, you know, um, the, there's something creative about the universe and and the life that sprung from it is mutually supportive and inside of me is a system that um, you know um, has uh, all of these responses that are meant for the world around me they're meant to guide me and when I think about spirituality um, and I see this across spiritual traditions there's lots of ways of phrasing it I'm getting more in touch with the guidance system in my body in my mind and the guidance system of society um, and the way that the world works. Um, and in that way, everything is helpful inside of me, even this bad stuff, everything outside of me can be a tool. God is love. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, rather than me spending 10 minutes attacking the word love, yeah. not the concept, help. but the word. It's help. Um, I would I would prefer to um, continue along on our topic about um, gravity. Okay. Because when I when I would speak to that about gravity, then some Christian will come up and say, "Yeah, but God caused gravity." Mm -hmm. All right. So we need to look at it a little bit deeper. Ooh. Um. Deeper than gravity. I like this. Alright. Let's start with the speed of light. What causes light to be at the speed of light? Or another way of thinking about it, well, what is the speed of light and what determines the speed of light? Right. Because the speed of light is determined by the medium that it is in. That's an important quality that light is, is in fact affected by the medium that it is in. Okay. You probably know that if you put a pencil in a glass of water, that if you look at it on the side, the pencil looks like that it's been broken or, or misshaped. Yep. Also, when people learn to go fishing with a spear, go spear fishing for fish, and they're standing on the on, in the on the shore. They can't hit where they see the fish. They've got to strike their pole beside it. Yeah. Reason for that is because uh, the speed of light changes in water. It's not the same speed as it is in the air. Did you know that? Uh, no. 
but it, it makes sense when I think about uh, other wave sound, you know. Okay, well, I've got a bit of a physics background, so bear with me. The speed of light in an absolute vacuum is 186,310 miles per second. But in outer space, which is not actually quite a vacuum, and they know what's out there now, it's down to 186, 278 miles per second. Okay. Wow, that's a quite significant fall between a complete vacuum and um, the vacuum of deep space. But it also slows down inside the solar system because there's that many particles that are inside the solar system. Yeah. It slows down further when it's in the transmission line uh, for electricity. The electricity along the uh, high-speed transmission line, that's why it gets hot is because it's losing energy. And part of the way of the loss of the energy is not just voltage and amperage that's reduced. The speed of the light or the speed of the electricity is also reduced down to about a hundred and about 170 miles per second, 100, instead of 186, is down to about 170 when they're doing the very best job they can. Now, inside a laptop, it's actually down to about 130. And this is why all of the things in the computer get hot, is because of uh, the transmission, everything gets slowed down. So let's go back and say, uh, that you know that um, photons can be measured as both a particle and they can be measured as a wave. Yeah, I don't know much about that. It seems funny. Well, it's, I said it correctly, though. Measured as. Mm. The actual property, we don't know because we don't have a way of measuring the actual property of a photon. But we can measure it as a particle because we know about particles and we can measure it as a wave because we know about waves. Mm -hmm. But we don't we really don't know. know about photons. Yeah. But what we do know is, is that if we're thinking about it as a wave, oh, look at a wave goes like up and down and up and down and up and down. Uh, what uh, is going to cause the wave if it's going uh, up? Why doesn't it just continue to go up? What is it that causes inside the wave particle of the light for it to change? Oh, yeah. Forward momentum? Well, what we're getting at is, is that there is a deeper law that physicists are exploring now, yeah. but it's very difficult to explore because things happen so fast, and that is the underlying cause uh, excuse me, the underlying law of causality. Yeah. Inside of a proton, or excuse, yeah, inside of a nucleus of an atom, there are protons and neutrons. Yeah. Why do these things happen? The answer is, is that there's a law of causality still in operation at the subparticle level all the way up to the level expressed in gravity. Gravity is nothing but an, um, an aspect of causality. Buddha knew about that. Cause and effect. Everything has to do with cause, effect, cause, effect. This causes that. 
and that the, um, uh, let us say, the childlike way of looking at it would be the idea of this action causes this result, or good action causes good result, and bad action causes bad result is the way that they uh, uh, look at it normally. But then the magic comes in when they say, all oh, that's got to be, in the sense that if a good action happens, it's got to lead to a good result. <laughs> or if there is a bad action, it's got to lead to a bad result, no matter how long it takes. A law of unintended consequences, buddy. Right, exactly. That in fact, their most comma is not either good nor bad, but there is mixed. It's got both bright and dark elements. Well, and what's good for me might not be good for you, and I might think I'm doing good, and it's not good. Um, and uh, um, uh, yeah, here's and a, here's a clear example of uh, the uh, the big the big score, the big match, the uh, uh, the big uh, sports contest, football of one description or another, and the uh, uh, all the crowds are there, and then the referee throws a penalty flag. Mm-hmm. And half the people cheer and half the people groan. They stand up, you know, people, mm-hmm. half people like it and half don't like it. Mm-hmm. So the question would be then, was the, uh, the throwing of that penalty flag, was that a good action or a bad action? Mm-hmm. The yeah. answer is it's dependent upon many factors. We can't make that kind of a judgment. You could say it's a matter of opinion. Here's another example of that. You buy stock in the stock market and the stock goes up and you sell it. So when you bought that stock, was that a good buy? Well, how about if you bought it at that price and the later the stock goes down and now you sell it and you've had a loss? Was that original purchase a good per- price or a bad price? The answer is, is that the action itself no longer depends upon the action itself. It depends upon the result. But the result often defines what the original action was good or bad. So much for comma. Well, and I look at I look at you know what's helpful for me um, is is uh, you know with all the emotional torture that I put myself through. Um, uh, is, is, is knowing, I don't know what's good and what's bad. Things that I thought were horrible have turned out to be great lessons. Things that I thought I was, you know, really successful at turned out to be hurting people. Um, so, uh, uh, yeah, good and bad. Okay. Well, uh, Bhikkhu Buddhadasa was actually a fan of the story of Adam and Eve, right down to the, to the scriptures. You see, the thing that was kind of amazing for Bhikkhu Buddhadasa was that he had access to a Bible, but he was not around Christians. So he did not pick up um, all of the behavior and attitudes or anything of the Christians. He just had what was, what was um, in the Bible. And so um, the story of Adam and Eve actually is a moral story. It's like Aesop's fables. 
and yet many people miss the story, uh, miss the uh, the morality of the story, because they get bogged down in the details of the story. The story becomes more important than the moral of the story. So that means that people get wrapped up in talking snakes, and the the woman did it first, and um, uh, where's my fig leaf, and who got tossed out of paradise, and um, issues of childbirth, all kinds of things are in that story, you know. The apple, that's the main one. What's the apple? Was it an apple? Because the word apple is not in the, uh, the actual story. What is the word? Fruit. The fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Well, in many, many traditions, the word fruit actually means the result. Mm -hmm. That, in fact, uh, the fruit of one's actions, the fruits of your labor. That's quite common in our English language, just using the word fruit as the result of an action. And that we see that, in fact, the apple tree, the planting of the apple tree, the fruit of the apple tree is the apple. All right, which means the result of the apple tree is the fruit, which is an apple. Now that we understand that, let's look at well, what could possibly be the fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Good and bad. Judgment. Exactly. The knowledge of good and evil means that when uh, Adam and Eve ate of the knowledge of good and evil, they are actually uh, having to put up with the results of their knowledge of what was good and what was bad. So imagine that you're in a nice paradise. I mean, I've got a nice paradise here. Oh, wait a minute. That tree, this tree, it's got wormholes and bugs and yellow leaves. This tree is not suitable for my paradise. Yeah. I'm going to go dig that tree up and burn it. And if I find any other trees in my paradise that have um, non-perfect leaves on them, I'm going to burn it down and I'm going to pay paradise and I'm going to put up a parking lot. <laughs> That's what happened to the paradise. Is that Adam and Eve it destroyed paradise themselves. They weren't thrown out of it. They destroyed it through their own judgments. Now, this is not good enough, and that's not good enough. That's the actual moral of the story, <clears throat> is that we do eat of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. So if we go around judging things, then we have to put up with the fruit of that. Yeah. I've been, I've been looking at that with myself, you know, like of... Uh... Uh, something that comes to my head sometimes when I'm doing something good is like, oh, am I a good person yet? Um, and, uh, um, you know, like, as I've been realizing about, like, other people's approval and my own approval and stuff, it's like, man, I, like, I get to decide good, but also just, like, what result does it bring, right? Like, what happens when I act this way rather than, like, am I good or am I bad, Um because again, yeah, like 
All right, so maybe that's no longer a decent question to ask. Indecent, yes. It's it is a, a bit big, of and, 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 and why is because you're actually placing the authority for answering that question outside of your own experience. Yeah. Am I good or bad means you've got to select a criteria. Well, where does that criteria come from? Whether it works for me or doesn't. Ultimately. All right. Well, now we're getting a little bit closer then. In the sense of maybe the right question to ask is, am I satisfied with the way things are right now? Mm. Okay. Now, well, here's I've, something. I've been, I, I've been satisfied with the way things are, and I've been deluded about the effect that I'm having on others and myself. All right. Well, let's go one step further about that, how things are right now. Um, if, if things were going to according to God's plan, and the plan was good, and things, in fact, did go according to God's plan, then the plan would be at the correct place of the way things are right now. So the way things are right now is, in fact, God's plan I in just action. Got, I just got to cooperate. That's the, when you said the word co cooperation. That was like, yeah, I, I just have to cooperate with the things around me and, and everything will unfold naturally. Precisely, which means now you have to remember to cooperate. Yes. Because it's instinctual that we don't cooperate, that we uh, put ourselves in self-preservation mode. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> which gives rise then to all of the other instincts, including materialism and uh, uh, making rules for ourselves and others and identifying with views. So all four of these things, identification with views is actually a, what's our territory. Okay. The rules of the nest or how we get along is our set of rights, rules, rituals. You could actually call that society. Mm -hmm. But also it's our materialism that we don't feel safe unless we've got a cell phone or, you know, whatever it is that we have. But we feel that we have to have material possessions. All of those three, the materialism, uh, uh, the rights, rules, rituals, and our views about who we are, uh, which is actually the banner. You were talking about carrying the banner before. Yeah. Carrying the banner means I belong to this organization or that organization or, or whatnot like this. And so uh, if those organizations are political organizations, then I'm buying politics. Mm -hmm. Which means if things happen good for that political party, then I feel good. But when things happen bad, then I feel bad. I'm giving my feelings away to uh, honor the identification that I'm making. So if we stop identifying with anything. Mm -hmm. So we can say, well, what about the organization for Buddhist teachers in the West? The answer to that it would that would be an intermediate organization to help people come out of all of the other organizations. Oh, heck, I mean, uh, 
I can participate in these, um, you know, these these great concatenations of activities that we call organizations, but that it doesn't make me, you know, I don't have to identify with it. Exactly so. Yeah. Exactly. Um, give me give me just a moment. I'll be right back. Is that okay? Okay. Right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All, All right. right. You're back. I don't hear you. I cannot hear you. <laughs> 